continue this theological discussion in a car or in a jailhouse with cops. All right, well, welcome back to Everything Just Changed. I'm Bryce Hales, and I'm here with my friend Brad Edwards, and we are seeking to help you navigate faithfulness to Jesus in a post-Christian and post-pandemic world. And if you've been with us before, you know that Brad and I have been exploring the ways that radical individualism is ravaging Western culture. On the left, we see what Mark Sayers has described as a desire for the kingdom without the king. And on the cultural right, we are seeing a, a grasping for a king but a general disdain for kingdom values and truth. And so, uh, Brad, you and I are trying to like lead this charge to expose what is going on in, in our culture. There's a desire for the king without the kingdom or the kingdom without the king. And we're living in this time where individual identity formation is running rampant. And so we're trying to find a better way and point to the way of Jesus, which is about receiving our identity rather than achieving it. And this has led us to an interesting and probably unexpected place, which is the role of institutions in identity formation and the shaping of virtue. And so institutions, I think, are probably not a very popular concept in American culture, and yet institutions are incredibly important in shaping our virtues and carrying our narratives and mediating our identity. And so today, our guest is a person who I think is highly invested in the formation of Christians and the importance of the institutions as they do that work. Barry Corey is joining us. Barry Corey is the president of Biola University in Southern California. And so, Dr. Corey, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, my pleasure, Bryce and Brad. Great to be on the program. Thanks. Yeah. So just to get us started, uh, Dr. Corey, so much has changed in the last year. We're coming up on about the first anniversary of COVID really shutting everything down in uh, North America. Everything from, you know, quarantine, stay-at-home orders to political polarization, questions of the role of race in American culture, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> I I'm sure it's been a very stressful year to be the president of a college. Could you just give us a sense for now, what is life like on campus at Biola? Well, yesterday on campus, I looked um, out the window of the office where I perched myself, and I think the most activity I saw was a squirrel and two birds. Um, yeah, so so there are 3,100 or so counties in the United States, and only one county um, has absolutely forbidden colleges and universities to open since last March, and that's Los Angeles County, where we happen to um, reside. And so... Um, it's been uh, especially um, hard uh, for colleges and universities in LA County. And frankly, you know, don't get me going, but capricious, um, inequitable, uh, unreasonable, and very um, hard on our students who are still studying in their parents' basement or their childhood bedrooms. And it's just that mm. social isolation is not mm. doing a th anything good for them, which it's interesting when you talk about individualism, isn't, you know, social isolation is a type of individualism. And we know that it's what we just saw last year, how bad it can be on exactly. the mental health of our students, on their spiritual exactly. development, their moral framework, their, uh, you know, ability to engage in meaningful relationships. So um, we are actually um, phasing students back on campus. We have 6,000 students at Biola. So starting the process in the last few weeks, and we're going to um, partially repopulate the campus this semester, and hopefully it'll be full steam ahead come the fall. But it's been tough. 
I can only imagine the the number of plans that you've probably put together and then had to pivot at the last minute and trying to work out the legal implications and what's best for students while uh, leading an institution that has you know significant history but also really important work to do. Uh, yes, and 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 this and just to add to it, you know, you mentioned a, a couple of other dynamics. Certainly the uh, the political polarization, um, yeah. the racial tensions. Um, all of that uh, has kind of really created this alchemy um, in higher education of like, like, like what is true, what is good, what is the right thing to do, how do we respond, how do we do so without, um, you know, shouting across the, the, the street, mm-hmm. why don't we, you know, in your words, Brad, since your church is called a table, why don't we talk across the table to each other mm-hmm. with those, mm-hmm. with those whom we disagree with pretty deeply. And so it's, it, that's hard to do when you're, um, when you're not together. I'm curious if you could kind of expand on that a little bit. And how have you seen, gosh, the, the polarization that we see across the country in, in culture and even within the church, how how much of that have you seen feed into dynamics on your college campus and that context and that, that institution versus like how have you seen or to, to what degree the embodied institution that is Biola be able to be kind of a mediator within the midst of that, that, that kind of cultural storm? Yeah. Great, great uh, question, Brad. I, um, we have a, we have a project of Viola called the winsome conviction project and how do we uh, live out our convictions in, in winsome ways. And this is, this is what I feel is the antidote to so much that is wrong uh, in our world today. The, the very simple bumper sticker language that I use is that we are called to live lives of firm centers and soft edges. Oftentimes we have firm center and hard edges and we go after the other side. The cultural, um, you know, opposition is, is, is wrong. There's nothing valid in what they have to say. We're going to wrap ourselves with razor wire and just kind of go after those who disagree with us. That's kind of the firm center and, and hard edges, but the, the, the opposite is just as dangerous, right? To have, um, soft edges and, and it's a spongy sound like what do you believe and what do you hold as truth? And we're called to live into both of, of, of those. And this is what I feel like is what our culture is missing. And the six thousand Biola students, this is what I want them. They're the rising generation of the church to live both with firm centers and soft edges. I mean this is this is the gospel, right? Jesus came full of truth, firm center, full of grace, soft edges. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, firm center. Love your neighbor as yourself, soft edges. Mm-hmm. Be wise as serpents, firm center. Be gentle as doves, soft edges, right? This is, um, this is the way we're called to live. And I, and I think when we look at the left and we look at the right and we despair, um, we often try to find a middle ground, but I, don't, I think we need to find a higher ground. Mm. Um, and to me, that's that higher ground. We need a generation of students that actually believe in what is true and, and like hold to that firmly and have a, like a, a spine that has, has a, a deep theological core to it. That's committed to the Lordship of Christ and the truth of God's word. I mean, this is like, that's the firm center. Um, mm. but the soft edge is like, we need to like lead, not with, 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 um, vitriol. Um, not with like shouting from our little echo chambers, right? We need to lead with hospitality and listening, listening while wanting to learn, not listening while waiting to respond. 
and and there's a there's a difference and and to respond with with kindness you just you can't love the world well with a bullhorn and i think that's what we've been um seeing too much of and um yeah so that's that's yeah. really at the at my my passion is that we help students do both of those well you know when jesus says you know you've heard love your um neighbor and hate your enemy i say love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. He uses those two verbs. Love is is that um, that that the relationship have. Sometimes we we love but we don't pray. Mm. You know, we we form relationships. But we don't want the gospel to have an effect on some people. Somebody. Other times we pray but we don't love. Right? We pray for somebody but there's no proximity and we don't have any mm-hmm. kind of relationship there. And and Jesus says you don't get to pick which verb. It's that love and prayer, firm center, something like be that both. And so that and it's hard. Um, when it's so easy just to, you know, get in our own little tribes and tell everybody how bad the other side. Well, and I can imagine that that is especially true for university context where you have students who are coming in from all different parts of the country, all different types of churches. And so, like, I know that one of the things that has been really hard for a lot of our people in this time is that this idea of, I love the way you say this, having a higher ground used to be true and used to be easily seen among their Christian friends and connections. And one of the things causing the most cognitive dissonance is seeing so many Christians who they've been in a church with and grown up with or been really good friends with, how much they have ceded the higher ground to take one edge of the cliff or the other, right? And I'm so curious, like, what can you tell us about what that's been like for students who, like, I can imagine some of them seeing coming to Biola and also the gap of not being able to come to Biola right now mm-hmm. being especially painful and hard because of how much maybe your institution has been trusted to be a place where they can sort out some of that cognitive dissonance. What has that looked like? Because it's, it's, it feels different now, whereas before that was something that they you know, wrestled with as they pursued loving their neighbors as themselves. But now it's also something that they are experiencing just existing within the church. To me, the greatest damage to the gospel, in my mind, um, is hypocrisy. You know, those who like flaunt the name of Jesus and live and act in ways that are neither gracious nor truthful. Back mm-hmm. to grace and truth, right? And, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to like, and, and all of us as a community at Biola, we're trying to like help students. Like you don't need to be this way. Hmm. Um, you know, I think Biola needs to be a place where we don't allow room for arrogance and, and, and hubris and discrimination and untruths and belittling and patronizing and divisiveness. Like no room for that here. Hmm. And we have, I, I think we've seen a sore in our nation um, that really, um, it, and it transcends political allegiances. You talked about earlier, the left and the right, and it exposes yeah. so much of the deeper wounds that we need to work against with all of our holy might. Mm. Um, and the wounds of elitism, right? Wounds of pride, wounds of lies, wounds of cancel culture, wounds of, um, of unrepentance and discrimination and contempt. Um, our son um, graduated from Biola, and then he was the uh, TA for... Um, Arthur Brooks at, at the Kennedy School at Harvard in, when he was in graduate school. And, and, and Arthur Brooks just talks about it really pointedly. You might have referenced this in one of your previous podcasts, but he said the problem in our world isn't anger. Like there's lots of anger. There's anger in marriages, and that anger tends not to lead to divorce. So we, we can be angry about things. He said the problem is contempt. 
And there's a difference. You know, contempt means you, you find someone who disagrees with you that they don't have a legitimate thing to say, and there's no worth or dignity in that person at all. And, and I've seen that, unfortunately, and we all have, um, in the church. The mm. contempt against those who don't look the right way or vote the right way or believe the right way or sing the right way, mm. whatever it yeah. might be. And, and we've got a tall order at Biola University and Christian higher education to help um, be a remedy um, to this. And I yeah. think we can be, but it's, it's, we got a work cut out for us. Yeah. I, I wonder if you could maybe just help us conceptualize that a little bit. I, I love the phrase firm center, but soft edges. That's fantastic. But you're talking about not just communicating, but sort of inculcating a nuanced approach to life, which we don't live in an age of nuance, right? Mm-hmm. We live in yeah. an age of black and white. It, it, it strikes me that so much of what we're talking about when we talk about individualism and cancel culture are dynamics that are playing out on college campuses, probably not uh, Christian college campuses, though. So help us understand what, what is the particular role of Christian colleges and universities? It seems like there's a meeting of you know, the university campus environment with the church. Just help us understand how do college, Christian colleges do that job of formation well? Yeah, well, helpful to ask it that way, um, Bryce. I, you know, I would, one thing I would say is that um, a Christian college has to, we've got to know who you are. And you have to have a mission that's rooted in the transcendent, not in the imminent. Um, and that's, and I think that's, it's easy to, to give up the transcendent, to say all the right things, but like, what is, what are the abiding virtues that you feel like God created and what does, is the world the way God intended it to be? And, and how do we have something that is deeply like rooted to something far bigger than, than, than we are? So I think it has to start there. And that, that comes through your literature um, courses. It comes through your, your understanding of the liberal arts. It comes through your you know, co-curricular programs, the way in which faculty mentor students, that there's something deep going on. And you're tied to um, what a mutual friend of ours, um, Bryce, talks about mm-hmm. um, uh, this philosopher, Augusto Del Noce, this Italian yeah. philosopher that just like, that's like saying, like, don't give up on that which is is true and, and timeless. And that's right. important for us. And so I think, first of all, what is your foundation for our, our foundation, obviously uh, rooted in, in scripture and the life of the mind, the integration of, of the both of them, that God created the world to be a certain way. And he had values and virtues that he had in mind. And these are not, whether it's sexuality or, or justice or the human body, these are not evolving paradigms. Um, in that sense, we're originalists, right? We say, what did God intend? And let's preserve that. So I think that is, that's essential. The other dimension I think it's essential in Christian higher education is that um, the, the world doesn't revolve around the students. It's, it shouldn't be a buffet. Come here and get what you want. In some ways, and I say this in carefully, but we're more about education than advocation. We don't want our students to come to Biola saying, like we're going to change the world. We want students come to Viola saying like, can you help change us? Mm. We want them here not to be like protesters. We want them for a, this quiet contemplative character building mind maturation season 
in their life in an ordered and in a sequenced way to become citizens of of, of depth. And they're not, again, they're not here to change Biola through activism. They can be activists after they graduate. (laughs) You know, we're here to help students think about things, really not change things. That's, that can happen down the road. And we're helping. I mean, isn't 18 to 22 years old, the ideal age to change the world? (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) They don't think that, but they, they're ready to change the world. And we're saying, no, we're going to change you. God, I'm really hoping it's actually the early 40s because otherwise <laughs> that's my window. <laughs> I'm hoping, I'm hoping too. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Corey, I, I don't know if you're familiar with Yuval Levin and his his work on institutions, but uh, Brad and I have been pretty influenced by his writing. And one of the dynamics he talks about is this shift from sort of seeing institutions as places that form us now to a, a move towards platforms that affirm us. Hmm. I'm I'm wondering if I think you've been at Biola for 13, 14 years now. Have have you seen a shift in um, sort of the expectation of students as they arrive on campus during that time? Are students showing up at Biola saying, "Please form us into virtuous citizens"? I was zooming today with a recent film graduate who came to Biola. Kind of with that in mind, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a film major and I know what I want to do. So give me the skills to, you know, to be a writer for movies and television. And he said when he came to Biola from Cleveland, Ohio, he said he arrived here and, and, and he had to kind of reorient himself because he felt like there's actually more to offer me than I thought I actually needed. And, and I think a lot of students come hey, validate my vocational aspirations. Give me the credentials I need. I'm going to have a good time in college. And on the other side of it, um, you know, I'll be able to say I've got the credentials and I'm going to go get a job. So there is that expectation. I'm not sure if it's changed that much over the years. Maybe it has. But I, but I do think that students who are really thinking about themselves in college in ways they haven't thought before are noticing that something's happening to them you mentioned the 18 to 22 year olds. That's the, the, the one period in your life where more changes uh, emotionally, mm-hmm. psychologically, you know, spiritually, socially, relationally, physically in some ways. Um, so why not just allow yourselves to be, some people call it the bile of bubble. I think it's more of a greenhouse. Be in this community because there's going to be some things that are going to be happening to you, not to help you get a job two years out, but to help to live a life 20 years out in, mm. in so many ways. And we hope that students grasp that and we see that most of them, most of them do. If, if I'm grinning like an idiot on Zoom, it's because <laughs> you, you said like three or four things in a row that like are literally the words we're using to describe the same thing that we're trying to kind of wrap our minds around. Because I think Bryce and I are both church planners. We mm-hmm. suffer from the delusion that we can also change the world. There's, there's, there's a sense that you have to have a little bit of that to actually think church planting could be a good idea for your mm-hmm. family or general longevity in life. But I, I don't think I've, I, honestly, I only think it's been probably in the last six to 12 months that I've just realized how much we assume we have the tools or ability or the fruit or the virtue. It's, and, it, and it's, actually, it's actually less that we think we're God and more that we think that our purpose is God's purpose. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and that he might actually be more interested in what we have to offer than he is in what 
he can grow inside of us and that being what we have to offer. And, and it's just, it's, it's a really powerful difference because we're used to talking about like narcissists and, you know, thinking that you can do this without God and all that other stuff that, that like every church planner has beaten into them, whether they like it or not. But you're talking about a nuance that is kind of distinct to the university system and has kind of been lost in the church in a lot of ways. Mm. I want to be fair. Like I went to Covenant Seminary, and I, in hindsight, am I'm in awe of how much they uh, laid those breadcrumbs down in, in ways that I can now see. Thank God. But man, that is such a uh, across the grain of our increasingly our posture, both inside and outside the church. Yeah, you know that's really well said, Brad. I I am. Um... I told you what, what I think one of the most dangerous things for our students is, is when they witness hypocrisy um, in, in church leaders. It's really a bad thing. But I think one of the most dangerous things happening in this rising generation of students is their um, impassioned ignorance, where they get so impassioned about something, but they haven't thought it through. Um, and it's, it's happening, all of the hot-button cultural issues right now if they would just like tone down their passion and offset their ignorance, I think, I think, and that's what a college is supposed to do, right? We're, we're a place where discipleship and scholarship and vocation, formation and edification and exhortation, they're all inherent mm-hmm. to our missions. And so we, this is what we're trying to offset. And it's so easy to just kind of like get on whatever the movement is. Um, it might be sexual, it might be racial, it might be political, it might be, you know, a, a social agenda, whatever, whatever the agenda is like to get on it passionately without really thinking about it and almost feeling like ashamed. If you think about it and you ask questions, you are um, anti this or you're anti that. And mm-hmm. so it really suffocates, you know, kind of thoughtful people. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I worry deeply about that. I see how that has led to some people in groups making some pretty profound mistakes and it's on the left and on the right, both. And that's what I don't want to see. That's why I want our students just like, 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 hey, cool down all your activism when you're in college. Let's just take this time to really learn to be contemplative and reflective and think about ideas. And what I want our speech code at, at Biola to be, say anything you want as long as you say it civilly and you say it with like an intellectual posture behind it. Hmm. Um, that's what we should be. We should be able to really wrestle through ideas you know, you don't beat an idea by beating a person, right? You beat an idea by beating an idea. And that's, that's what we need to understand. And I guess to your, your point, Brad, about that, I just think that that is, that's what we're up against in this, um, in, in many in this rising generation who we need to help them tone down their impassioned ignorance and really become thoughtful, critical thinkers rooted in something transcendent. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about the ability to persuade instead of just the ability to be outraged. Yeah. I, I guess outrage isn't really an ability, but but so much of mm-hmm. our the way that our culture forms us, whether it's media, social media, et cetera, it results in just impassioned ignorance, outrage. But we need to develop people who are able to uh, to persuade one another. Mm-hmm. If you know we follow we follow the, the God who claims to be the way, the truth and the life. Mm-hmm. He, he can probably handle himself. <laughs> the truth can win out mm-hmm. without beating up the person, right? What you're describing, Dr. Corey, is, is that expression has replaced reflection mm. as a primary mode of, of relationship. 
And when, when that becomes the case, what that, what functionally what that assumes is that kind of like what we were just talking about, that I already have the ability that that, 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 that authority lies or rests within me. I just need the opportunity. Reflection ass- assumes that there is something internally that actually needs to change before expression happens. Mm. Yes, it's slower, but it's fundamentally more humble posture. And that's the, that is, that is a, a prerequisite for anything civil for anything that has a posture that attempts to persuade instead of to, to win an argument or to win against people, but to win them over. Yeah. 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 It's, it's true. And I, and I, and I, I never want to discount what the Holy spirit can do. Hmm. I was talking to a student this morning about Williams college back in the 1700s, this group of students said, you know, we want to be, we want to like give our lives to, to, to missions. And they had what they, it's called the haystack prayer meeting and, it led to the student volunteer movement and Viola still has a strand of that going in our student missionary union that started 90 years ago. And just like allow the Holy spirit to just be, really transform you during your college years to see things differently, uh, believe in the power of what God can do through you. And then, you know, over time, that's all going to be unleashed. But it, a lot of it starts with just learning. What does it mean to love the Lord with all your mind? And that means you seek out that which is true. Um, and I think in this, Brett McCracken, um, I'm not sure if you had him on your program yet, um, but he just came out with a book called The Wisdom Pyramid. He, he, keeps, he keeps writing these articles that Brad and I wish we yeah. had written yeah. before. I mean, uh, it's really frustrating. Well, he's great. He, he, his, uh, his wife works with us, and um, he, um, he, he was a writer on my team in the president's office for a number of years. And I love Brad. I mean, uh, Brett. And uh, I love you too, Brad. Um, but yeah, a lot of love. Thanks. Um, but he just wrote a book called The Wisdom Pyramid. And what he's really trying to get at is in this this time of history when what do you really believe? It's, it's a book I would commend to everyone because when you love the Lord with your mind, you really do. Like you seek out that which is true and verifiable and based on clear fact and historical accuracy and and you can't spin the truth. You've got to just let it speak for yourself. And if you call yourself a disciple of Jesus, then you should care about that which is true. And in this day and age, like the, the narrative mm-hmm. is being written in, in your words, like individually, like whatever is true is what's true for me or what's true for mm-hmm. my tribe. Right. Um, and Jesus calls us to be, you know, truth seeking servants, not self serving power mongers like the Pharisees were, right? He rebuked them for their distortions of, of truth. But he said of himself, like, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So that's why, you know, back to impassioned ignorance, you know, from every side, it's not only antithetical to the gospel, but it, it, it causes deep and abiding pain in our brothers and sisters. It's inexcusable. And we've got to rise above that, find a higher way, not a middle way. Shifting gears, I'm just keeping an eye on the time and uh, want to maybe bring us towards a, a landing point. But uh, Dr. Corey, could you help us uh, understand the the challenges that Christian colleges and universities are facing now? I know there's there's been, uh, I don't know if you saw Alan Noble's article a few, I don't know, six, eight weeks back on just some of the challenges that, that are 
confronting Christian institutions of higher education. I know we were at a dinner a couple months ago where we were discussing that subject as well. Obviously, I know finances are always an increasing reality, but I mean, what, what are the challenges going forward that you see facing institutions like Biola as they're seeking to shape students? Yeah, so you know, tactically, the, the challenges are certainly issues like affordability, um, technology, demographic changes that are happening in certain parts of the country, um, globalization, um, delivery, um, digital learning. Those are all there, and they're true for Christian colleges, and they're true for other colleges. But um, I think the biggest challenge um, for Christian colleges is like resisting the temptation to be like everybody else. There's that constant pressure to mimic those institutions that you deem as successful. And no, no faithful college has ever had a president that comes in saying, like, I'm going to make this college like, like less interested in compassion and justice and less biblically faithful and less Christ-centered. And there's this, this, this incremental moving in that direction. You don't drift towards Christ-centeredness, right? You, and so it takes this, this constant recall of, who are we? What is our founding vision? Uh, what did our um, those who established the college intend for us? And certainly the methodologies have changed dramatically, but what are the first principles of your university, of your college? And and go back to those. And I can almost guarantee you that if you go back to those, um, you might, you're going to have more students than ever. If you mm-hmm. try to blend in and be like everybody else and become more indistinguishable, you'll lose students, you'll lose support, you'll lose your own distinctives. Um, so, you know, I'm just saying, like, let's let's be who we are and let's live into that. And God's big enough to take care of us if we can be deemed to be faithful institutions. And I think that's uh, it's so easy to to almost be this kind of uh, shame for who we are and try to, like, cloak it over a couch. But there there are parents and families and students that are saying, like, I want a school that like actually believes in something and has a backbone mm-hmm. and. And sure helps me get a job as an, as an engineer, as a psychologist, as an entrepreneur, as a teacher, whatever. But I want a school that actually says what it is and and doesn't um, capitulate to, you know, trending ideologies that might be popular, but stays the course. And that's it's a hard. It gets harder every year. Um, I was sitting in the office. I never I don't like call it my office because it's not my office. It's the office where I happen to be right now. Somebody else will follow me. It's their office then, I guess. Um, but I was sitting there last summer and just thinking about how all the headwinds that were coming our way. And they seem to be blowing with increasing um, bluster. Um, and I just felt God's just voice, and it doesn't happen to me very often, even though I grew up in a Pentecostal family. Um, I felt his voice saying like, you know, my, my tailwinds are stronger than your headwinds. Hmm. And so just like draft with me Hmm. and that's what we got to do. Just trust God, be faithful, stay the course. Um, Don't try to be who you're not. Um, And not only, I think will that help you with your own identity and attracting students and families and donors and everything else, but it's, you can just say, we're going to be a school of integrity. I want to actually just kind of point out a name that, you just demonstrated the firm center that you were talking about, the importance of being part of that formation. Because in a world that is increasingly impassioned and, you know, use the phrase impassioned ignorance, um, I feel like the, the, the consequences of that over the long term is just this chronic mounting anxiety. 
And without the kind of security that can say that Christ's tailwinds are stronger than any individualist or, or populist or political headwind, that is going to both be essential for everything that you have been talking about the importance of, but also be stupidly attractive in, in a high contrast way, the more that the world around us continues to, to have this building anxiety without release or without any kind of a, a pressure release valve on it. That smacks of wisdom. <laughs> well said. Wow. Should we just end it there? I mean, that, that was, that was fantastic. <laughs> it was fantastic, Brad. Thank you. That was a great yeah. you know, crescendo to really, I, I enjoyed very much both, both of you, Bryce and Brad, and having a conversation with you. So thank you for inviting me onto your podcast. Yeah, likewise. This is, I mean, this is part of what's so helpful for us, especially as church planters who, you know, there's, there are a few kind of institutional roles that are more susceptible to anxiety and urgency and pressure. So having someone who is leading an institution that is able to say, it's actually not my office, it's actually going to be somebody else's too. And to have that perspective is, is self, frankly and selfishly, it's just really encouraging and helpful mm -hmm. for us because we need this reminder, feeling like in many ways we, we have you know, a foot both in the deep uh, riptide that mm -hmm. wants to pull us away from the shore and a foot on a foundation that is more strong than sand, but sometimes it's harder to pay attention to, to that yeah. plant than, than the foot yeah. that's being swept from underneath us. So I really appreciate it. Yeah. Great meteorological metaphors between the uh, headwinds and the riptides. This is where you get the water and we get the air. So well done. Uh, hey, this is the danger of getting uh, three people in ministry on the same Zoom call in a microphone. So <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Dr. Corey, thanks so much for joining us today. We appreciate your time. Thank you. My pleasure, Bryce. Brad, take care. Thanks so much for joining us today. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to our podcast. I'm Bryce Hales with Brad Edwards. Our new theme music was recorded by Danny Rankin, who also designed our logo. We'll be back next week helping you navigate life in a post-Christian and post-pandemic world on Everything Just Changed. Everything Just Changed.